You are listening to Late Arrivals, the Anaheim Ducks podcast on the Inside the Rink Network of Podcasts. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome everybody to episode 50 of Late Arrivals. We uh, we figured we'd kick off another uh, milestone episode here with uh, another special guest. We are uh, joined by Chris Peters of Flow Sports. Uh, if you guys have not seen any of his work, he does a lot of pre-draft rankings and mocks of you know pretty much anything under the sun when it comes to the draft prospects. Uh, you know we're we're very thankful to have you on. Yeah, you know, how how you doing tonight, Chris? I'm doing great. It's good to be with you guys. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, off season. I'm in off season mode. I'm just like not even shaving anymore. I'm just kind of phoning it in appearance wise. But uh, but aside from that, I'm doing all right. Awesome. Well, for for those that may not be familiar with what you do, uh, if you'd like to give the folks at home a little rundown of kind of your history with, uh, you know, the draft. I know I saw used to do play-by-play and stuff. Yeah, you seem you've been in the game very, very long time. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I think, yeah, pretty much my entire professional career and adult life has been involved in, in hockey in some way, shape, or form, which is pretty awesome. I pre- feel pretty lucky about that. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, as far as getting involved with, uh, with you know, covering hockey and covering prospects, they, you know, that goes back – I. I got lucky enough out of college uh, to get an internship with USA Hockey uh, called the Brian Fishman Internship and working in their communications department. And so that's where I got my my first start. So, you know, you get your foot in the door there and um, job opened up at the National Team Development Program to do communications for them, right, as my internship was wrapping up. So really good timing for me. Uh, and then I I got there. I, they, they hired me to, to do that job. I was there for a couple of years and then uh, my wife actually, who's an engineer and like way smarter than me and better than me and like just everything. Um, she, uh, she got a job back in Iowa. She's originally from Iowa. I went to school out there and I was like, Oh man, well, I guess there goes my career. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so yeah, so that turned, you know, I, I was looking for jobs. Um, you know, I'd only been like working full time for two years by that point. And, you know, there just weren't a lot of jobs in hockey around here. So uh, I started a blog called the United States of Hockey. And that's where things kind of snowballed. Um, you know, I had some obviously unique knowledge of USA hockey and national teams, world juniors, um, you know, the process of developing prospects and, you know, being at the national team program, saw what it took to be, you know, for these top tier guys to, to make it. And um, so that unique insight allowed me to, to do a lot of different things. Um, and, you know, I, I continued to work kind of on a freelance basis with USA hockey and do like play by play at the, the world under 18 championship when you like, you could only find it on pay-per-view streams and now it's like on NHL network and everything. So, uh, but you know, we were basically just doing it for the parents and they'd send me to all these great places and, and go do that. And, and, uh, you know, eventually I got a job at CBS sports. They were looking for somebody that kind of knew prospects. Um, it, it, funny thing about that was, is that job, you know, the, I got that job and then the lockout in 2013 happened. Uh, so, <laughs> so that was awesome. Uh, you know, or 2012, yeah, 2012, my son was born in, in 2012 and like that, the date, the next day, I think the, 
like we found out there was going to be a lockout. And I was like, oh, well, I, 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 do I still work here? Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I got that job, um, was really lucky to do that. And then um, as all media jobs eventually do, I, you know, I, my contract was up and it wasn't renewed. And so I decided, oh, that's it. Uh, I had a good run. Uh, worked at the University of Iowa for a little bit. And uh, then I moved. Uh, I got a call from ESPN saying, hey, uh, Corey Priman just took the job at The Athletic. We're looking for a new draft guy. And uh, there's, I got the job. Um, so I was there for three years. And then the pandemic happened. I lose that job because that's what happens in media. Uh, and then, uh, um, you know, started my own thing for a little bit. Did uh, daily face-off with Frank Cervalli, uh for a year. And then um, got contacted by Flow Sports because they wanted to, to really get hockey content going. So, you know, in some way, shape, or form, I've been involved in covering prospects for over 10 years. Um, you know, I've been around junior hockey, you know, U.S. national teams, all that stuff for about 15 years. And, um, you know, it's just kind of the way I see it is like, you know, I just I could either get comfortable and do something where it's stable and safe and everything else, or I can continue to do this wacky world of sports media. And I just have too much fun doing it. So I just decided to, to keep it going that way. So it's a long story. It's been a winding path. I'm really happy to be at a place where, you know, hockey is growing and that they, you know, want to put a bigger emphasis on hockey. Um, and obviously, you know, this is a place where not a lot of hockey fans are familiar with it yet, but um, you know, hopefully through my work and, and certainly with the games that we stream, because, you know, primarily we're a streaming service with games like the ECHL and the USHL, and we'll have a whole bunch more coming next season. Um, but, you know, there's, there's, you know, being part of something on the ground level for once, as opposed to like, you know, getting hired by a prestige media company, which is awesome. No, I'm not going to complain about that, but, you know, to be here for this and help it grow um, is really outstanding. So I'm, I'm really excited to you know, to, to kind of take this to the next level and coming off of the draft, you know, just had a, a great time with it. So yeah, it's been a long winding career path, but I just, I guess I just gave it all to you anyway. So, <laughs> so <Hey>. yeah. <laughs> as I was going to say, looking at flow's website, you know, the, the next thing on the schedule is the, uh, the debuty league games. Yeah. And those are always yeah. uh, interesting to see. Cause those are always the, the NHL guys getting back into shape for the summer. Yeah. Had their yeah. fun time to get yeah. back to working out <laughs> yeah exactly and you know it's funny last year um you know the games i one thing i didn't a, a appreciate until i got there is like yes it's summer hockey but there's it's a pretty good level of competition the guys are trying different things they're actually trying like it's 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 probably a step above an all-star game pace but that's you know obviously not a not a high bar to clear but at the same time it's just it's really fun because guys are trying different things there are obviously a lot of younger guys that are you know, trying to prove themselves a little bit or, you know, challenge themselves a little bit. And we even had a fight last year, like Teddy Bluger and Vinny Letary, two established professional hockey players, dropped the gloves and fought into beauty league. And I was like, well, this is, it's good for business. So uh, yeah, but that was, uh, it's, it's a really cool thing. And yeah, and, and we've got a lot of, you know, stuff coming up and, and certainly a lot more draft content, which is brand new this year. They didn't have, they've never had that until they hired me. So uh, yeah, so it's been fun to do it. Nice. Were well, you I mean, at the draft in Nashville? I sure was. Yeah, I was there. Um, and uh, yeah, the, the NHL wasn't really familiar with what flow hockey was. <laughs> so I did have to kind of convince them that I was a real person. But um, 
but yeah, no, they, they knew who I was and it was just like, Oh yeah, sorry. Um, so, but we got, we got our spot. Uh, but yeah, yeah, we did a lot of, uh, onsite coverage and obviously, you know, like the, the, the regular draft stuff that I would have done at any place else instant analysis of the first round, you know, grades for, for the teams. And that's all up there. I mean, the, the other nice thing about the work that I do now, when I was at ESPN, it was still insider and then the beginnings of ESPN plus. So it was all behind the paywall. And then I went to Substack. It was all behind a paywall. Um, you know, de- daily face off. It wasn't, but now it's not at flow either. So it's, it's free to read and um, you know, certainly, you know, free to absolutely trash everything I write as well. Now uh, <laughs> the paywall was good about keeping the trolls out for a little bit, but uh, but I'm happy to be back, you know, kind of in the public realm and just putting that out there for everybody to see. And yeah, it was really cool to watch it grow this year and see people, you know, find that, find the coverage wherever it is. I guess we'll jump right into just your thoughts on the whole draft as a whole. I know, I mean, we've talked a lot, you know, being a, a basement dwelling team this year, mm-hmm. there was a lot of hope for the draft and stuff. And, you know, the, the talk of the draft was Fantilli, Carlson, who's who's going to be the guy at two. But before we get into any of that, you know, who do you think were the big winners or losers of the draft? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, in terms of winners, I mean, it's it's hard not to to have, you know, to have the Blackhawks be the, the big winner of the draft. I mean, you get the number one prospect in Connor Bedard, but then you also get Oliver Moore slipping to 19. So now you've got another center that has tremendous speed. So you get the best shooter in the draft. You get the best uh, skater in the draft and more. You know, I like their second round strategy. They went and got a goalie early. Adam Guyon was, you know, one, one or two in, in a lot of lists um, for goaltending was second on mine. Um, and, you know, I think that that's, that's an interesting one. And that was a pick I think they had to make to kind of trigger the run on goalies uh, because we knew it was going to come at some point. Obviously the ducks got involved in that too, with, with Damian Clara later in the second round. Um, but, you know, we just saw a lot of teams start going after the goalies there. And, um, you know, so they did that and then just, you know, building up on a prospect system, you know, they got, they got other guys, Martin Mishiak's a good player. Um, you know, they got Marcel Marcel, who's just this massive guy and has an amazing name to say. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, they, Yanni Peltonen was like their last pick of, of the, of the draft. And I thought that was a, you know, a guy that has a chance to play games at some point down the road. Um, you know, so I thought their draft was really good. I mean, for, for the losers of the draft, I think it was anybody, you know, anybody that didn't have a first round pick is probably feeling pretty empty handed uh, coming out of this draft. There were a lot of teams that didn't pick until, you know, later, like the Islanders didn't pick till late in the second round. There were the, the, um, you know, the Bruins didn't have anything until the third round. Ottawa was, didn't have anything until like the fourth round, you know, Toronto only had three picks and then they went way off the board with their first round pick. And I think sometimes when you have a, a lighter amount of picks, you're going to focus in on guys that you're really passionate about. And so obviously they were passionate about Easton Cowan. I don't know a ton of other people that were, um, I think that he was a late riser, but that, you know, that's your first pick. And then you only have two additional picks. Did you move your prospect system forward? Um, you know, I think that some of these teams that have kind of bet the farm and, you know, have, have lost some of the, the prospect capital that they had before or draft capital or whatever else, it could come back to bite you later. But as we saw from Vegas, you can just give out draft picks or first round prospects like candy. And that's how you get better for some teams. I think they set a new standard for how to use the draft 
It's not to have these guys long-term it's to get those, to get to the next level. And um, you know, so that's an interesting thing too. And actually Vegas ended up having a great first round pick too. David Edstrom was the pick of the last pick of the first round. And I thought he was one of the you know better centers available. Um, you know, I had him as a top 25 pick and yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, if, I, I think Chicago did very well. I think you have to feel good if you're the ducks, if you're, you have to feel good. If you're, if you're Buffalo, St. Louis had, you know, three first round draft picks. They reached a little bit on their second one, but not a ton uh, or their third one rather. Um, you know, so I, I, I think those teams that had multiple first rounders are feeling really good about themselves too, because they, they were able to really tap into a draft class that we've been talking about for so long as being a really good one. Uh, speaking of of teams that had multiple first round picks, I want I'm curious about what you thought of the Coyotes draft. Um, they took the uh, two Russian kids at six and twelve, Simashev and uh, Daniil Boot. Um, I kind of like it that they kind of went off the board like that for high upside. What were, what were your thoughts there? Yeah, you know, I think it's it, anytime you go for for upside and for ceiling, I think it's intriguing. Um, you also have to do that knowing that you're also assuming a lot of risk um and i think one of the things that we're now starting to see and this is more of a recent development that's happened after the draft is the ability to get players out of khl contracts apparently is about to become harder um so that's if they're signed to contracts now if a player's contract expires then you're their fair game um, the KHL contested that Ivan Fedotov, the, the Philadelphia Flyers goalie uh, prospect who was detained and then forced into military service, um, is now out of that. He's fulfilled his obligation, apparently, magically in time for the, the training camp of the KHL. And, um, you know, they're saying he basically just signed a new contract in the KHL, even though he had a valid contract with, with Philadelphia. So that's a very complicated thing that that now is new um but assuming that Simashev and boot do not resign or sign extensions then arizona would potentially have the rights to sign them within the next two years um so that's okay but but to to just go like their entire draft class i think it's, i said on my podcast is 134 feet tall uh which <laughs> is which is which is uh yeah, I think the the equivalent of the world's tallest thermometer in the Mojave Desert. Um, so that I looked that I I found that I looked that up. Uh, I have no life. Um, but but you know you look at what else they did and and all the guys that they picked except for one were six two or taller. Um, I think in Simashev you've got potentially on talent potentially the best defenseman in the draft. Like everybody knew that the risk was there, but the talent was also there. Um, so the question is, is does he have enough offensive upside to be a top pairing defenseman? Whereas we think, you know, David Reinbacher has more offensive upside than Dmitry Simashev does. Uh, but Simashev is bigger. He's good, good mobility. He's a better defender. Um, there's a lot of things to like about him. Daniel Boots is a six foot five forward with incredible skill, like great hands, great shooter. They got Michael Robel, who's a six foot seven goaltender who I really liked. He was my number one goalie. Um, you know, they, they, then, then they continue to make bets, you know, getting, Jonathan Castagna, who played in uh, a Canadian prep school this past year, not a, not a place where you're taking guys super early, but he was a third round pick. Noel Nord, a big guy from Sweden who can score. So like they clearly had a type, they were going to go big. They, and, and because they had so many picks and then, you know, 12 picks or whatever, 
in this draft, because they had so many, they were able to take those swings. Um, because by the sheer, like if none of those guys pan out, then this is going to go down as like the worst draft ever, because you had 12 guys, you just bet big on everybody and they didn't, nobody panned out, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think they have enough there. That's going to be several guys that are going to be legitimate NHL players, um, down the road. So I like what they did. I think they took some chances. Um, but at the same time, there is a very real possibility that their best picks are, you know, not helping them for a few years down the road and maybe not helping them as much as some of the potential safer options, but I I'm never going to fault a team for taking chances. And I mean, at this point, you know, there, there was a lot of talk of like, you know, Matt Vemichkov being options after top three or four, you know, they're, they're clearly seem to be like a game, like you were kind of saying with Toronto, not having a ton of picks, like there clearly was a game plan with some of those teams. And I mean, I'm going to be up front and say, I, I don't really know much about prospects up until a week before the draft happens. It's just that part of my brain just can't compute sometimes. Um, but it feels like there was a lot of that this year where there, you know, there obviously were some guys like, you know, we'll, we'll get into the Carlson Fantilli stuff in a sec here, but like, you know, you had Columbus taking Fantilli and uh, Brindley, yeah. you know, back to back. And there are a lot of types that seem to fit a lot of teams in this draft, but would you say it's kind of an anomaly this year? Or is this kind of a trend that you see year to year? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think that every team goes in with a game plan and they they set they set their own tiers just like we might, you know, and 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 sometimes we set tiers like for us that do this publicly, it's like, you know, is this guy going to be a future NHL All-Star? Is he a, a Hall of Famer? Is he is he just another guy? You know, I mean, whatever tier you put him in, but teams will actually, you know, look at different archetypes of players. They will look at different um they will look at different kind of uh styles like they might go in with a game plan like their game plan might be you know we are like like arizona we're gonna go big and so all of these big guys are gonna be higher on our board and we're gonna push the smaller players down and if they're there they're there um some people say like the carolina hurricanes have a type what they don't do is they don't deviate from their list so they basically will take the best player available regardless of that and in a lot of cases in the last couple of years the next best player available was a smaller player with a lot of skill. Um, They're a team that's going to focus more on skill than they are on the size, but that could eventually come back to hurt them because they had a draft this year where they had several sub six foot skill players. And usually not more than one or two of those guys are going to pan out in a draft class. So, you know, that's the other thing that you kind of got to look at as well. And I, I think, um, there are just so many different things that happen. So it is kind of cyclical. I think this year, one of the things that was interesting about the class is that a lot of the best offensive performers were undersized, that Bedard, Mitchkov, uh, you know, Will Smith, uh, Ryan Leonard, like, and, and by undersized, I mean like below six, like at six foot or shorter. Um, because I, you know, but I mean, but then there's Zach Benson, who's five, nine, there's a- Andrew Crystal, who's five, nine, you know, like all these guys that are, are, are coming in, you know, Gavin Brindley is five foot eight. He measured in at five foot eight at the combine, um, you know, and that, that does matter. Um, so, you know, I think that that allowed some of the bigger players to go higher than we expected, you know, necessarily them to go. I mean, I think of ultimately 
maybe not how higher than we expected them to go, but higher than we were ranking them to go because, you know, I'm not as focused on size as an NHL team is going to be, but they kind of have to be, you know, they kind of have to be aware of it because there is, you know, you look at NHL roster makeups around the league and there is a difference between, you know, the, the teams that you, you can have a Jonathan Marshall. So like Vegas did and had him win the con Smythe, but then they also had him surrounded by absolute giants and killers on defense. And so, you know, that's the other thing. And they also just proved that maybe you don't need to spend a ton on a goalie. Maybe you don't need to, you know, I mean, yeah, it, it's it, it, I, the lessons that we learn in every playoff, I think sometimes can be a little bit, you know, I think we get sucked into them a little too much, uh, but it's a copycat league for a reason. And, you know, teams are going to continue to follow those kind of traits that, and certainly big was a big theme of this draft. It kind of leads into another question that I had. Um, the Ducks had, uh, getting to the Ducks now, the Ducks had five picks between obviously two and 65. And while it, we, we're kind of talking this podcast um, about selecting guys with high upside and like that produced well at, at you know, the junior levels, you know, we're um, obviously identifying the Gavin Brindley's and Andrew crystals and whatnot, but then the ducks select obviously Leo Carlson, but then go and select Nico Mayatovic and Carrie Terrance and uh, Colson Petre. And I was just, those players fit a specific type, like you were saying, and I was just wondering if if GMs draft for um, like translatable skill sets towards their specific system, if that makes sense. Um, to a certain extent, yes. I mean, I do think that they they do that, but I think that the the scouting staff also knows they might not be drafting for the coach that's there right now. Um, mm-hmm. And so you you do to a certain extent. You say, okay, we want hard driving, attacking players. We want guys that are going to be. Um, you know, strong on the work ethic. You're also going to look at your, you're going to look at your prospect system and say, okay, well, we've got all the offensive defense we could ever want right now. Um, how are we going to address that? And then they go and just focus a lot on forwards in the early part of the draft. And I'm sure that the way that they weighted their board, there were just a lot more forwards that were up higher than some of the defensemen here. Um, and, and that's because you, you know, you, who you have coming. Um, so, you know, I think in the end, like Nico Mayatovic is a good example of a player that I think if the ducks didn't take him there, he probably wasn't going to last more than a few more picks after that. Um, I, he was a guy that I think a lot of teams really liked as a second round option for them. Um, you know, he has that, that combination of size and, and, and some, some, some heaviness to him. Um, and then on top of it, he, he produced and played really well and played a substantial role on a team that had, you know, seven first round draft picks on it and uh, towards the end of the season and found a role and, and carved out his own identity on that role. You know, Kerry Terrance is a guy that, that has uh, just this tremendous speed and obviously a work ethic and, and you know, can play down your lineup late in the second round. That's the kind of guy that you're looking for. You're looking for some of those guys to say, Hey, that's a, that's a player that we are pretty sure gonna, is going to find a role on our team. He doesn't have to be a top six forward to have success. You take a bigger swing on a Damian Clara because your system is going to need goaltending. You've already, they've are all the best goalies were going to be gone. You know, they were gone by the time you took Terrence and, and Clara, you know, there, there was no Trey Augustine. There was no Michael Robble. There was no Carson Bjarnison. So now you start having to say, okay, we got to get, you know, we got to get a Damian Clara in the mix. Um, 
So that, that helps them too. And then Petra is another guy that has that kind of work ethic, that drive, um, you know, good defensively, uh, you know, interesting. And then, and then, but you, you follow that up with a Yegor Sidorov and that's a guy that's like, Oh, where did that, all of his offense come from this year? A guy that just kind of exploded and you say, okay, can we tap into that? You know, Rodwin Dionisio is another, you know, re-entry this year and a guy that just has tremendous skill and is an absolute, you know, like that's as a fifth round pick, you love the bet that that is because you saw the hands that he has. You saw that he can make some plays and um, he's just not a very good defender, you know, but he is, he, there's something there. So you take that chance. So, you know, I think that's the way teams are, are starting to look at different things. There are also teams, um, you know, the ducks obviously didn't do this. They had a very CHL heavy draft outside of, you know, Leo Carlson and Damian Clara. So a CHL heavy draft, a lot of teams are now focusing those later picks on players that they're going to be able to retain the rights for longer. Cause now the guys that you, you drafted in those later rounds, you have to, you have two years to make a decision on them. And so many guys, we saw this last year, the 2021 draft class just produced a lot of duds that guys didn't have, didn't get contracts and it didn't come. It didn't get redrafted either this year there that, you know, like there was, there was second round, Ben Goudreau was a second round draft pick goalie, not signed, not redrafted, you know? So like, that's, that's what you, you know, you're, you're taking on a little bit more risk because you don't have as long, a long as a timeline to take those players. So those are the other kinds of things that you're trying to decide. Uh, some teams will look at players that are going the college route or draft more Europeans later because they have a longer time to sign them. So that's the other thing that kind of happens there. But I mean, clearly, you know, I think the ducks have, have been a very CHL focused group. You know, I think that, you know, Martin Madden obviously uh, is going to be, uh, you know, looking at those leagues pretty darn closely and has had a lot of success drafting out of there. So you can't blame them for, for going back there, but yeah, I mean, it's been, it was been interesting to watch them and, and certainly was interesting this year, kind of in this stage of their rebuild where, you know, it's, they feel like they've got a lot happening and a lot of good things going. And I think that this class just continues to build on that. I had a yeah. similar question. Oh, sorry. Oh, I was going to just say a comment about watching Cedar Rob the other, the other day at camp. He, he is a real treat. I mean, he was flying out there. I mean, was he playing much defense? No, but again, we're watching a development camp where they're drilling the kids and they're just doing a fun scrimmage. But the fact that he tried a between the legs to a Forsberg move on a breakaway was just absolutely hilarious. But at the same time, just like, how, how do you think of that in such a split second? But yeah, you know. lots of skill. Yeah. Lots of skill and just being like a showman, I guess. It, it, it was quite the, I mean, there were a lot of nice little plays like that. You know, Jack and I were there, Patrick was there. Um, but I think that was the moment where I was just like, holy shit, like this kid's got some balls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to do it, do it, do it in a development camp where there's no jobs on the line. <laughs> Go ahead, Jack. I just had a similar question to, uh, Patrick talking about the forward group that they drafted, uh, a little comment you mentioned about um, the height. Like I think every player the Ducks drafted this year were six feet or over. Uh, but this forward group, uh, we all knew that the prospect pool was lacking forward depth, and it was really heavy on the blue line. How much did this draft help the depth on the on the forward side and the overall like prospect rankings? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think that. I think that it helped uh, it helped a lot because now you have a potential number one center in Leo Carlson, which is going to make a massive difference in your in the outlook of your team. And 
you know, you figure that Mayatovic is going to play eventually. You figure Terrence is going to find a way eventually. Uh, Petra has a game that, you know, he can fit into a role. Um, so you, you're starting to kind of, as you look, as you plot out kind of the future of this team, um, it, what it does though, it is also creates a lot of interesting questions. Like is Trevor Zegers really a center? Cause now you've got Leo Carlson, you've got Nathan Gaucher, you've got Mason McTavish. And I don't know, you know, and I love Trevor Zegers, but is he a center in that mix? Um, and that, so that becomes a question is like, and how does that fit? How does that fit going forward? How is, and they, it's not a decision they're going to have to make next year. I mean, I think that that Leo Carlson could potentially make the team. I think it's probably beneficial to him to get another year of professional hockey in Sweden and become a more dominant player before coming into the NHL. I think there is a, such a thing as too early. And I think if there's any shred of a doubt, you send him back. Um, and I think that's a good, it's, it's a fine decision to make. I don't think you would have had to do that with, you know, with, with an Adam Fantilli. I think he was ready to make that step in probably wasn't going to be the number one center, but you know, he was, he was going to play quite a bit. Um, but I, at the same time, he could have potentially even gone back to Michigan. It was something that he was entertaining, but obviously just signed him to Columbus. So this class does give you a little bit more options. Um, and it, it also, I think has a, a, a shorter term, like Leo Carlson, it's probably one year, if if that, one year away. Um, so now your timeline is starting to look a little different in terms of where everybody's going to go, how they're all going to fit when these contracts kick in, all those different things. So, um, you know, I think having the foundation of guys like Terry and Zegris and then, you know, building around them and having guys like Gaucher and, um, uh, you know, and, and McTavish and some of these other guys, you know, is is – who else is going to take a step up and step into the lineup? Um, there's still a little bit of short-term pain ahead because, you know, the Ducks, you look at up and down their roster and it's still not like the, there are good players. There's a ton of talent. There's a lot of guys coming, but you, you can't have a team full of 20 and 22 year olds and expect to compete. So, you know, we'll see exactly where it all goes, but I think this class in particular, I don't necessarily know that they like, we're going to go forward the whole way, but because of where they're, where they finished in the ranking or in the standings and because of all the great forward talent that was available, you know, I think they did very well in, in supplanting, you know, some of these uh, other guys that, you know, you also know there are a lot of players right now where they're starting to get pushed out. Like they might not make it. So you, now you have a, a new group to try and restart that clock. We've uh, we've talked a lot in the last two weeks uh, since the draft about the patience that this fan base needs to have. And, you know, you just touched on, you know, it's probably going to be beneficial to have Leo Carlson play another professional season before just rushing him into NHL play. Um, but we've seen a lot so far with this fan base. And I think a lot of it still comes down to just that disappointment of it not being Fantilli at two. But to the average person who may not actively know much about Leo Carlson, what would you tell a person like that that's not familiar with his game to kind of ease them into making this pick a little bit easier? Yeah, I mean, like, let me start by, you know, saying I had Adam Fantilli ranked second. I thought he was a great fit. I thought, 
I think he's the better of the two players. I think he will be the better of the two players. That's just me. That said, here's why Leo Carlson made sense for the Ducks. And if you want to judge the two players together, there's a couple things. Like I think, you know, Fantilli's faster, more physical, and actually might even be a little bit more skilled. But Leo Carlson is incredibly skilled, very intelligent, much a, a higher end hockey sense and a higher end understanding of how to produce offense against professionals than I think Adam Fantilli did. Where this decision, I think, ultimately came down is, you know, was solidified at the Men's World Championship when when Leo Carlson was the, the basically the first line center for Sweden. Um, they didn't have a ton of team success. They were out of the tournament a little bit early, but he had quite a bit of success playing alongside Lucas Raymond, and it showed that he could play with, you know, high skill. He could be a dangerous player. Um, he was, you know, confident and and capable. Um, I think character wise, you know, it's a wash between the two players. I think they're both good, good kids. Um, but Leo, certainly there's something about him that, you know, obviously a lot of people gravitate towards him. I think he's very well liked. He's, he's a guy that, you know, um, has a, a quiet confidence about him, even though he, he may not always outwardly express that. Um, you know, the other thing too, is I think the defensive elements of his game are pretty strong. Um, and I think that, that was another factor here. Um, the fact that he played wing most of this year, we didn't get a chance to really see that. And that's another reason why I think it would be great for him to go back to Sweden, to go back and be a center and be a center as a professional and be that for, cause he, it's his natural position. I don't think it's going to be a problem for him to do it. I mean, Trevor Zegers was a left wing for most of his draft season or a lot of his draft season. Um, and especially, you know, towards the end when he's playing with Jack Hughes and Cole Caulfield and whatever else. And, and I, you know, so I think that Leo is, he, he showed at that men's world championship that he can play. Um, you know, the, the question is going to be, you know, I think his, his, his pace is a little different. Um, he's not as aggressive physically, you know, is he really a power center? Um, is he, will he have that defensive capability? Um, at the NHL level, I think those are some of the valid concerns, but the thing is, is that his high end hockey sense his deliberate pace of the game, his ability to analyze everything as it's happening, um, is really special. And so I can understand, like, you know, like I said, you put me in that chair, it's a different decision for me, but it's not an insane decision to go with Leo Carlson. There was a plenty of debate about that. Um, and I think that the world under 18 or the world, the men's world championship may have you know, really solidified that for, for Leo being second on some boards internally. And obviously for the ducks being the guy that they wanted to go with. Um, you mentioned Leo Carlson's um, uh, maybe superior hockey sense. You have a podcast. It's called talking hockey sense. Um, yeah. Can you define hockey sense and is it different from like IQ or are they kind of the same thing? Is it just X's and O's? Is it sensing pressure or just anticipation? Uh, what would you define it as? Yeah. I mean, I think hockey sense is a catch-all term, um, you know, and it, 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 it encompasses a lot of things and it's really one of the reasons that the podcast is called talking hockey sense is because hockey sense is the, the trait that I value most highly in a player. Um, and it, that's so many different things, but for so hockey sense, hockey IQ, 
pretty much interchangeable in terms of like, it's the same thing as far as I'm concerned. Um, it's an understanding of how to play. It's an understanding of, you know, being able to read plays, being able to read and react very well, having the vision to make passes, um, anticipating where the puck's going, anticipating how a play is going to develop, um, you know, reacting to whatever changes come your way as well, being able to process that quickly. Um, you know, I think the one thing you, you watch a Connor McDavid play, and I think in addition to being one of the fastest skaters in the world, he has the fastest processing speed of any player I've ever seen. He can play at his pace because he thinks the game as fast as his feet are moving. Um, and that's incredible. And it's something that makes him, that's why he's so different. Um, and in, a, in the case of Leo Carlson, I think it just helps to kind of explain how it manifests itself in the way that he plays. So when you watch him play, he's not always moving very fast. He's not a guy like that. That's, that's a big difference between him and Fantilli. Fantilli is a hard driving attacking player. Leo Carlson is a deliberate player. Um, he reads plays exceptionally well. He's very good off the rush. He processes the game faster than he can move, which is helpful. Um, and then he also is you know, really good at passing, really good at knowing how to exploit defenses, finding the seams, finding the way, the places where he can either pass the puck or skate into, you know, a, a softer area, um, when to get a sh shot off, where to go to get that shot off time and space in the offensive zone is one of those things that you, you'll know it when you see it, like you can watch Trevor Zegers pop into a little area that nobody's there, you know, nobody, nobody was there. Nobody thought he would go there, but he knew that's where he needed to be. And that's where the puck was going to go. And you see that with him. You see that with, you know, goal scores like Alex Debrinkit was just traded today. So he's in my mind. He's one of the best at getting lost in the offensive zone and then popping out right when the, the puck's ready to be there and it being in a dangerous area. That's what makes him a 40 plus goal scorer in the NHL. So, you know, that's the kind of thing with, with Leo, I think it's going to be just, you know, being a, being really good on the power play, being good on uh, at even strength, being able to play defensively, being able to transition well, um, you know, all of those things he can do. And, you know, I think that the way that he thinks the game is really special. Um, you know, I think in this draft, the player with the best hockey sense of anybody I thought was Mitchkov. Um, but, you know, I, I, I also put, you know, in that category, Bedard, you know, Will Smith, Gabe Perot, Leo Carlson, like those guys are all in the upper tier in terms of the hockey sense. Um, and, and so, you know, to me, if that is the, what you value most highly, and it's not the, it can't be the only thing because, you know, I think, but I, I do think it's a really important thing, but if you value that most highly and you say, oh, well, he also has six foot three, great hands, great shot, really good passer, you know, committed defensively, like he checks a lot of boxes. And then that central box of hockey sense, you know, is, is what to me is the only real separating factor between him and Adam Fantilli. You know, like you were kind of saying there, there was a noticeable kind of aura around him at the camp on Friday. You know, a lot of people online were saying it looked like he was lethargic out there, like he was tired or he wasn't trying. And I just think that there was a lot, you know, at least putting aside the fact that this was a development camp scrimmage that was just for fun to kind of get the fans there to to check out, you know, the kids in the system and stuff. Um, 
you know, it, it, it was, it, I can kind of see that perspective of it looking like the guy's not trying, but on the same end, you know, you have the Sidorovs of the world that are going out there and trying all these fancy moves, trying to show off. Uh, it, there is an air, there was just kind of this air of just chaos of everything was up and down the ice, but every time he stepped on the ice, there was just kind of this, I wouldn't say calming feeling, but you can tell that it was very methodical. He's not, trying to bust up the ice and blow past people. He is getting the puck and he's looking for outlet passes or he's using his size to get past guys, but also set up everybody that's streaking behind him. And I think that's something that's been lost a lot in the last two weeks, just because a lot of Ducks fans were enamored with having a bulldog-like player like Adam Fantilli. Um, and, you know, we all were. Um, you know, we had a whole episode the the night we we got second overall and it was, you know, kind of the fallout of that. We, we spent an hour on here just talking about like, Oh, it's going to be so great to have Adam, Adam Fantilli in a Ducks Jersey. And this is going to be so awesome. And I I get that with people, but it's, you know, there at the end of the day, there was a lot of talk of, especially with us, if this isn't a bad decision, regardless of who you take it to, and, you know, to your point is saying that he definitely checks a lot of boxes that may not make sense to us as fans, but definitely makes sense to what we're trying, what the team's trying to build. And, you know, adding, like we, we touched on, adding players that, you know, are just absolute monsters out there. I mean, watching some of those kids skate on Friday, it's like, these big guys can move. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I I guess where I'm going with this is you have all of these guys, but we got to talk about the speedy little guy, Olin Zellweger. Hmm. What are your thoughts on him? Because he, I mean, man, that kid is so much fun to watch. He is. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think, I think, and and just before I get into Zellweger, one thing about uh, player development camps, I honestly think, and I, I have all the respect in the world for every NHL team. I think it, it's a great thing to do. It's a great way to introduce your organization to new players, to get them in there. Um, I think that a lot of the on-ice components are not very helpful for anything. <laughs> um, it's July. Uh, you know, some of these guys came straight from the draft. I just saw that Brain Yeager had only brought his skates to the draft. And that's all he had. So when he went to Pittsburgh, he had to get completely outfitted and new gear. And, you know, so like all these different things kind of happen. And, you know, I would say don't read into anything you saw in development camp. Like Leo Carlson, I have no worries about his, his compete level, his, his, you know, the way that he plays. Um, He's just calm. I mean, he's, he's just, he's not, not rattled and just makes, you know, that he's calm. But yeah, and, and, you know, Chicago actually didn't do an on ice component this year, which is kind of amazing because they probably could have like sold $50 tickets for everybody that wanted to see <laughs> Connor Bedard for the first time. Um, but they didn't do it. And and I actually think that there's more benefit. To, we, we saw Ronnie Hervonen from the Maple Leafs camp got absolutely blown to bits in a, in a scrimmage game. It's like, why are you even scrimmaging? Like, what is the point? And, um, you know, and I don't like, it was a clean, like the hit was fine. Like I didn't, I was like, you can't blame a, a free agent invite for blowing up a kid. I mean, that's what he's there to do. He's trying to earn a, earn a job, but 
anyway, that's my little rant on, on prospect camps because I've been thinking about development camps because I've been thinking about it. but prospect camp and prospect tournaments. That's actually guys trying to like fight for jobs and fight for, you know, opportunities. That's a different story. But in July, it's just like, what are you going to just don't read into it? I'd say they're um, out there for exercise. That, and Yeah. Like, it's not even that. It's just like to say, welcome to the organization. We'll get you in a Ducks jersey. We'll get you in front of our coaches. We'll get you in front of our development guys. You'll start this relationship that's going to carry you through your prospect. You know, there's, there's value in it for that. But beyond that, like some of these scrimmages and it just only stands to these make a lot of, you know, bad, bad fodder <laughs> for us to talk about. But anyway, but to get back to Zellweger, I mean, like, you know, you look at his junior career and what he's done. It, it's sensational. I mean, you, do you, you, you love the way that he plays, you know, offensive sense off the charts, you know, he he's committed defensively, obviously not a big guy, but you know, just does a lot of things really well. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see kind of how he fits in long-term with the ducks, the way they've built their, their, their group. Obviously you have Jamie Drysdale, you have Minchikov, you know, you have other, other players that are going to be, you know, important players for them um, long-term. But, you know, that having, having those, that, that puck moving element, it's going to be really fascinating to watch kind of how the, how they balance that decor out um, with the guys that they do have that can really play offensively. But as far as Zellweger goes, you know, the next steps and the next things that he has to prove is, is, you know, he was a dominant WHL player. I don't think we learned anything new about him this year beyond the fact that he's still really good. Um, you know, he's played great internationally. He's done a lot of great things in, 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 in big ice time. That's expected. You know, I think that the the next step is probably AHL time for him. You know, we'll see if he makes the Ducks, but I think AHL is going to be a really good opportunity for him to just get used to defending pro talent, to, to making plays, um, you know, but I, I think that the sky is the limit for him because he is such an intelligent player and moves pucks so well and gets pucks to the net skates while he does, you know, pretty much everything. Well, um, you know, getting a chance to play in, in, in a high profile kind of environment this year with the Memorial cup and everything like that, you know, that helps propel him and playing the world juniors. He's outstanding at the under 18 worlds. You know, he's all these steps. He's checked every box along the way. But I think going from the WHL directly into the NHL is a is a big leap, especially for a player at his size, where there's still more physical development happening. There's still other things you have to learn. But um, in general, I mean, you look at the decor that the Ducks have built over the last couple of years in the in the prospect system, and one of those guys or two of those guys, or even if all three or four hit, all of a sudden you're like, whoa, we've got we've got the modern NHL decor that moves pucks exceptionally well, that defends with offense, like all this other stuff that you can do. So um, fascinating to see how it pans out. I really like the player a lot though. And just uh, watching to... him, just watching him skate on Friday was I, I, the one word I would say is mesmerizing. Yeah. Like out of all of the, I mean, granted we've seen a lot of him over the last couple of years, you know, since his draft year, but he just, he makes it look too easy. It, it was making me tired watching in the stands just because I I would kill to have just a sl- sliver of his talent. Yeah, he, I mean, he's he is special, no question. Yeah, he's a bowling ball on wheels, like on skates, <laughs> yeah. I mean. He's a bowling yeah. ball on skates. He's hard yeah. to go off, move off the puck. He's moving 100 miles an hour, and he's all in control. It, it's insane to watch. Um, I had a question about um kind of like the headliners of 
or besides the headliners of this um, Ducks prospect pool, you got obviously Zellweger, who we just talked about, Carlson, Minchukov. Um, outside of those three, who's like the prospect that you're most excited to see um, go through the rankings and uh, get to the NHL? Yeah, you know, I mean, that's a, that's a good question. I think, you know, I, I think one of the guys that's going to help them balance out this decor is going to be Drew Hellison. Um, you know, I think that he is going to be one of the players where you need somebody like him. You know, he played on that great 2001 team with Zegris and, and Caulfield and Jack Hughes. And, and he was a reliable defenseman, a guy that played big minutes for them. And those guys were doing all the offensive stuff and he was relied on more to do the defensive stuff and play physical. And, you know, so he's not as an exciting, he's not as exciting of a player but he is an important player because as I look now and, you know, I am a, so when I worked at the national team development program, Cam Fowler was one of the players that was there while I was there. And you look and you know, what a tremendous career he's had. I think a very underrated career. I think he's an outstanding player and I will never, ever say a bad word about Cam Fowler. Um, Cause I think he's also a great person on top of that, but the, you look at the the way this is built and then, you know, they brought in Gudis. There's a lot of things that, you know, they're, they're trying to find the balance here, but like Jackson Lacombe is another guy who kind of gets lost in the mix because it took him so long to actually sign. Um, but I mean, just a, a really great passer, a guy that has made tremendous strides developmentally over the last couple of years um, at Minnesota. He was such a raw prospect coming out of Shattuck St. Mary's. And he, you know, he was, he struggled a little bit, even though he was putting up numbers, like he always put up numbers, but I didn't love him as freshman or sophomore year at Minnesota junior and senior year. You start seeing a wow, this guy's actually starting to really put it all together. And then I think he was outstanding this year. So those are guys that I think are, are going to be important. Like the guys that are a little, have a little bit more maturity that have kind of been through this process for a bit longer, you know, Hellison actually got some NHL games, so that's a guy, you know, he'll play for your team. Like he's not going to be a star, but he's going to play for your team and he's going to help you. So those guys are, those guys are pretty important, you know, and I, I think I'm really fascinated to see the, the development of Damian Clara. Like he's, he's a freak athlete, just got a, a tremendous, you know, the size and the fact that he's you know, Italian, you know, it's like, <laughs> like, it's like, like, like from actual Italy, um, you know, I want to see what he does and how he develops because he did have a good season this year. And he, he put himself on the map with a, with a really strong season. I think that, you know, there were a lot of teams that were very intrigued by him. And, and I, while I personally didn't have him as a top 100 prospect, I, you know, I, I was like, he wasn't far away off of that. And sure enough, you know, there were a lot of teams that you talked to afterwards that are excited to, to follow him as well. Um, so, you know, those, those are the kinds of guys that I think are going to be, um, important to, to kind of follow because they're, you know, you're right. Like the headliners, like we've seen it. How many, how many great prospects, the guys that you're so excited to see, and they're just kind of, okay. You know, that's, that's going to happen now all the time. And especially like, even though that the, the ducks have built one of the better prospect systems, in the NHL currently, there's going to be a few duds in there. It's just the way it tends to work. You know, like there's going to be a few guys that don't pan out quite the way that you want them to. Um, but that's when you need guys like, like a Drew Hallison or like a Jackson Lacombe to kind of come in and, and stabilize things a little bit. And maybe they're not as top tier. Maybe they're not top four guys. You never really know, but those are guys that I think will, will be important to this system. 
Yeah, we saw Lacombe and Hellison play a couple games this year, and I mean they weren't like blowing us out of the water, but I mean it. They did. They looked like they fit in. They didn't look like they were you know out of place. I mean they they blended in pretty well. Could have been how bad the Ducks were, but <laughs> I mean yeah, yeah. I mean yeah. That was that that decor is still you know you kind of look at it and you're like that wasn't an NHL decor this year. That was, that was pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if it was compared to what we already had, but I mean, they, no, they looked fine to your point. Yeah. I mean, I, I watched a little bit of it then too, and I think they looked fine too. And actually a lot of these college guys are coming in more prepared, um, you know, and, and certainly when, you know, in, in Hellison's case where he had AHL time on top of that, um, you know, that, that really does help. And so, you know, I think that they're, they're very well set up. And those, those two, there's two guys that are obviously on the older end for prospects now at this point. Um, so they, they should be more physically advanced. They should, you know, so they're, yeah. And I think that a lot of those guys, they come in, they, they can at least fit in. And I think for the ducks right now, they're kind of in stopgap mode. Like you now need to have the guys like the Radko Gudis of the world, like guys that are coming in kind of on those shorter term contracts to just kind of get you through. Um, but you never know, maybe some of these guys really pop early and, and things, things turn around a little quicker than you expect. Well, I know you had, uh, had a question about uh Dionisio Jack. Oh yeah. So just from watching him play and watching highlights from him, I mean it looks like a typo when you see d- defense as his position. And <laughs> yeah. there's been some I mean, I haven't seen true speculation about it, but some people have talked about, well, like there's a chance he could play wing down the road. Do you think that's a possibility at all? Or do you think he's just gonna be a defenseman all the way through? Yeah, I mean, I don't I think I think if they drafted him as a forward like I don't think he would have been drafted if he was a forward honestly like like I, I I he's so skilled and he can do a lot of things and he's got good size and he did actually play wing a little bit with Windsor this year um and but I I think the possibility of you know saying hey can we work with him enough defensively to make this work um the thing is is that he has such a gigantic uphill battle with all the guys that they already have that are similar um, in terms of, you know, like even Lacombe, like Lacombe is a better player by a lot right now. Um, you know, so you say, okay, well, that's, is that, how's that going to work? I mean, and that's really going to be his challenge is if he can find a way to defend well enough. And I'm sure that the Ducks, now that they've drafted him, they're going to have a little say, they're going to be able to talk to, you know, the, to wherever, if he's going to play for Windsor again next year and say, we want him on the blue line. And, and usually the junior team's like, okay unless it's a disaster and they can't, but, but he is not a good defender. And, and that is, that is going to be his challenge to get better at. And it's why, you know, he wasn't drafted before, despite a decent season in Niagara. Um, that was a bad team. And sometimes you give those guys a break, but, you know, now having been with Windsor and having been on a contending team and produced at the level that he did, you can't really ignore that. Um, so, you know, I think that he's got a lot of development time ahead of him. Um, he's the kind of guy that I think will earn a contract because you're just kind of fascinated with the upside and the ceiling there. I thought that was just a tremendous bet to make just to say, you can do a lot of cool things. Let's see if we can rein it in just a little bit and not lose who you are as a player. Um, and, and now we'll have to wait and see if they can do it. Yeah. I love, I love a lot of the plays that he makes. And he does he does make a lot of those plays because he is able to scan the entire ice as a defenseman. Uh, so I, I love, you know, 
I'm going to, it's been very intriguing to watch his progression in the next, you know, year, at least or a couple of years. Um, before we let you go, I know we have a ton of more questions, but um, one thing specifically, you're very in tune with the program, uh, the, the NTDB program. Mm -hmm. um, and you tweeted recently that um, Carrie Terrance had been added to the U.S. World Junior Camp roster and um, that the uh, World Junior Summer Showcase is going to be taking place later this month. For those uh, like myself, uh, not familiar with that event, is it something we should be keeping an eye out for? What is it exactly? And where does um, Terrence fit on that team and in sure. that program? Yeah, so the, the World Junior Summer Showcase is basically an extension of the World Junior Camp. So, so for the World Junior Championship, you know, they just added him. They didn't replace anybody. They just added him. I don't know why he wasn't on the original list, but he is now. Um, and, you know, I think part of that is because, you know, he's he kind of fits a need that where they need some guys down down the roster. Now, what I will say is that the forward group this year is absolutely stacked. They could have as many as like like 12 or I think a 12 or 13 first round draft picks that are on their roster this year, which is like, which, which would be massively, you know, and that's including guys that haven't been drafted in the first round yet. Like guys like Cole Iserman, who's, who's draft eligible this year, James Higgins, who's draft eligible in 2025. Um, they're all in camp, but basically, you know, he's one of 45 players, I believe that are in camp and they've got to get that roster down to 25. Um, they will play teams against uh, from Finland and Sweden and Swedish roster is actually like loaded. They have got, they're bringing like Jonathan Lekarabaki, uh, Noah Oslin, uh, Liam Ogren, uh, not Leo Carlson, sadly. Um, wow. He wasn't on the, wasn't on the roster, but he'll be on the team. He was on the team last year. Uh, they don't need to see him at this camp. Um, he needs a break. Yeah. And he, he played in the world championship. Like you're on the team, dude. So, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, assuming you're not in the NHL. Um, and, and so, you know, that's, it's a great competition. Being part of that group is really important. Like, I think that there's a, a stronger likelihood that, that Carrie is going to be on the 2025 world junior team, as opposed to the 2024 world junior team. Um, just because like, you know, this team's going to have Logan Cooley, Cutter Goche, Will Smith, you know, Gabe Perot, uh, Ryan Leonard, you know, Charlie Stramel, like there there's, it's going to be a loaded roster. And it'd be really hard for him to make it. But the reason that he has a chance is because he's got a great work ethic, incredible skater, you know, that speed factor that he brings to the table. You could put him in a 14 or a fourth line role, and then you get a little extra scoring pop in a guy that's going to, you know, forecheck really well. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's going to be hard to, to get more guys like him because they're going to probably have Gavin Brindley, who was on the team last year, you know, a couple other guys. They've got a lot of returning players, so it makes it difficult. Um, I'll be at that camp, so um, I'll be going there. It's at the end of July. Um, it goes into the first week of August there, and it's basically like, you know, that and the Holinka Gretzky Cup are kind of the, the the two events that kick off the the 2024 draft season. Um, and so I'm since I'm doing a lot of World Junior coverage this year, I'll be at that camp. So yeah, it's a great honor for him and a great opportunity. Um, and I was glad to see him at it. I thought he deserved to be there and, um, yeah, we'll see where it goes. Cool. Um, you know, unless you guys have, uh, any other questions, you know, we don't want to take up too much of your, uh, your Sunday night here, Chris, but ah, I'm just probably going to go to bed after this anyway. So <laughs> whatever you got, whatever you got. Yeah. If you guys have a, have one more, if not, you know, we'll, I'll go. Um, 
So looking ahead to the 23-24 NHL season, we're going to have this incredible influx of rookies. Um, obviously, Bedard in Chicago and Fantilli in Columbus, but you're also going to have guys like uh, Matthew Nyes in Toronto or mm-hmm. Shane Wright in Seattle. Um, who are you really looking forward to keeping an eye on and in, in making their, um, not debuts, but you know, in their rookie years? And if you have a Calder pick, let me hear it. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, like... <laughs> You know, it'll be interesting. Like, I think the Chicago has actually done the right things to kind of insulate Bedard, getting Taylor Hall, getting Corey Perry, even like, you know, having guys that are veteran players to, to be around him is going to be important. You know, I think that because of the immense offensive talent that he has, but because he's one of the best goal scoring talents there is, you know, that we've seen, I think that there's a strong likelihood that Connor Bedard is going to be that rare guy that, you know, goes number one and then wins the Calder. Um, you know, I think, Connor McDavid would have done it if he didn't get injured um, in his in his, his rookie year. And so, you know, but I, I think Bedard, you know, is, is going to be substantial in terms of his talent and what he brings to the table. And the fact that Chicago isn't going to put him on an Island to start the season, they're still going to be bad, but they're, but they're not going to be, you know, completely inept. Um, and that's going to be key for them. Um, you know, I think beyond that, you know, certainly, you know, Nyes is going to get a lot of attention in Toronto. He had a really good playoff. I think Brock Faber at Minnesota is going to play massive minutes for them next year. Um, you know, and he was so good in the playoffs and, uh, and honestly, like one of the best pure defenders and some of the best defensive hockey sense of, of, of young players coming into the league. Um, so I think that that's going to be a pretty significant, um, opportunity, uh, for, for them and, and, and for him. And, and so, yeah, so, I mean, you know, I think that it'll also be a pretty intriguing rookie, like, uh, Calder race the year after as well. Cause we're going to have some of these guys that spent the extra year or, or two, um, in college or in junior, wherever they may be. So there's going to be a, you know, I think we're, we're going to just every single year, the rookies just get more exciting. Like I think this year was actually kind of a down year for rookies, even though yeah. it was really good because Maddie Beneers was awesome. Jake Sanderson was awesome. You know, Stuart Skinner was a, you know, some of the goalies were really, really good. Um, but you know, next year you're exactly right. I think the rookies are going to be there, but it's, I think it's going to be really difficult for Bedard. There's obviously the hype. Um, you know, I think Nyes could really give him a good challenge. We'll see if the goal scoring is there. We'll see if he, you know, I'm never sure if like Sheldon keeps going to throw him in the doghouse or, you know, what's going to happen about, about with him. Um, but I really think that, you know, those are, those are the types of guys that are going to make an impact. Um, you know, and certainly Fantilli is going to get a lot of run at Columbus this year. And I, I think he'll, he'll have a strong season. I just don't know if he'll have a better season than Bedard than I think Bedard will have for Chicago. Then I'll make mine quick. Uh, where would you rank the Ducks prospect system as it is right now after this draft? Yeah, so I haven't, I haven't sat down to really flush that out yet um, because I think it does change a lot. This draft class changes a lot. Like Chicago is completely altered, you know, with with Bedard, and suddenly is now towards the top. I think Anaheim is is you know clearly a top ten system. Like, I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. You know, you do have the graduations to consider, you know, McTavish is no longer a prospect per se as, as, as we define it. 
Um, but, you know, obviously still very young. I think if you look at the U23 cores around the league, you're going to see a lot of people putting the Ducks pretty darn high up there because of the D, because of the various guys. I mean, the the, the thing that's missing now, um, you know, is what they have in their system. Do they have a goalie of the future? Do we know that definitively? Do we Are we positive that they have that? That's never easy to determine. That's probably the one thing where it's just like, maybe? You know, like I, I, you know, I love Lucas Stoshtal. Like I've, I've been such a huge fan of his for a while. Um, but then you, you know, you look at Kerry Terrence, you look at uh, some of the other guys that they've, they've brought in, or not Kerry Terrence, Damian Clara got to Kerry Terrence on the, on the brain after <laughs> that last question. But you know, but you say, okay, well, can they do it? You know, is is Cali Clang going to do it? You know, like. I think that's really the only place where they're lacking because you look across their, their team and, and you see all the guys that they've signed and that are, have a real opportunity opportunity to, to do something special here. Um, so, yeah, so it'll be interesting to kind of see, but I think the ducks are in such good position. Um, obviously it's taken a lot of pain to get there, but you know, I think that the, the, the McTavish pick has only looked better in hindsight you know, I think that having, uh, I think Mintukov was just a really inspired pick. And now you look at what he did this year and you say, wow, this is, this is incredible. And then, you know, that you have, you know, Jamie Drysdale, you have Trevor Zegris, you know, Troy Terry's older, but Troy Terry, you know, like you've got, you've got a foundation of players that you can build, continue to build around um, with, you know, they'll probably need some more of those veteran stopgap guys, probably in net, probably in other places too, you know, where, where, where they're going to be able to kind of usher this new group in. Cause I don't think you can just bring them all in at the same time. Um, and that's also, you don't want to do that for contract reasons too, but you know, I think that they're going to find ways to kind of usher this group in. And um, but yeah, I mean, you look, you have the three guys that were the respective defensemen of the year in their leagues. You've got, you know, now a, a potential number one center in Leo Carlson, you've got some guys that, you know, you're, you're kind of waiting on a little bit still, you know, is Perot going to do it? Is, is, are there some of these other guys that are going to find a way, um, you know, but yeah, I mean, I think that in general, this is a team that's, you know, has a foundation and, and a vision for the future, which, you know, is, is a good thing to have. So um, we'll see where they're at. We'll see what happens, but I, I think ultimately, you know, this is a team that, that is, is, is really well set up for, for, a, you know, it's been a rebuild already, but, you know, I think that we're starting to turn the corner on that, you know, that downside and, and starting to move back up again. Well, awesome. Uh, you know, this, this was great, Chris. We, we really appreciate you uh, hopping on with us. Uh, before we let you go, uh, you know, outside of finding your stuff over with low sports, uh, you know, if you'd like to plug anything else, you know, we know you have your podcast, where, where can the listeners at home find you? Yeah. So yeah. So on flow sports and, and all our hockey content is on flowhockey.tv. Um, that's the, the place to find it. Um, you know, and that's also talking hockey sense is on there. It's on YouTube and everything else. Uh, still on Twitter for now, I guess, uh, at Chris M Peters, uh, <laughs> at Chris M Peters 10 on threads. Are we doing that? Is there people doing that now? Yeah, um, I'm we, trying. Got the, we got the threads kicked up for us too. I guess we're doing that. Uh, yeah. At Chris M Peters 10, because apparently when I made my Instagram account, there were nine other Chris's, but, um, but anyway, yeah. So, so that's, uh, that's the main spots and, and certainly, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always talking hockey pretty much anywhere and, and, and with anybody. And it's been great to be with you guys. It's been a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Yeah. You know, we, uh, 
hope you have a great rest of your night. You know, we know it's a little, little later out there, so enjoy the rest. Uh, you know, we'll maybe check back in next off season after, uh, after another fun year of drafting. <laughs> yes. It sounds, sounds good. Now I'm going to just go ahead and engage vacation mode real shortly here. <laughs> <Yes>. So <laughs> one more day of work and then getting out of here for a little bit. So yeah, but it's great to spend some time with you guys. Really appreciate it. Uh, you have a good night, Chris. Thank you. All right. Thanks Thank guys. Chris. I love that he had the mighty ducks Jersey too. Sitting there. I did want to ask if it was intentional, but you yeah, know. of course it was. <laughs> He's, smart yeah, guy. It He's clearly to. a smart guy. <laughs> yeah. It had to. Damn. That was fun. He had, yeah, it he was, was just so smart and he, he knew so much about every topic. That was awesome. Well, we are, uh, we are going to wait until Lou hops in to uh, talk about the rest of what we had planned for this episode, which wasn't a, wasn't a ton, but Oh, speak of the devil. Here he is. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. There he is. <laughs> Hello. Oh, there, there's, there's our Lou live from the par- from the uh, locker room. <laughs> do you, uh, you have a good night at work, Lou? Uh, it, it, it was something. It was work. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't really do much. I was watching you guys pretty much. <laughs> I mean, you're getting paid to do it, so. Yeah. <laughs> Well, before we get into talking about all the all the signings, uh, you guys want to talk a little bit about the fun time on Friday? Because I had a blast. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm looking this. forward to hearing. Besides the the social anxiety of being around a lot of people, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> I, I love what we just talked about with Chris too. Uh, Chris Peters, he was just like, "Don't buy, like, don't buy into it. Just it's there. It's just a camp for." the players to meet the coaches and the GM and, you know, just all that kind of stuff and to not buy into anything going on on the ice. Um, so that was, that was nice to hear. And it's good to just like kind of suffocate that fire. Cause it's just been so annoying. It's been very annoying. Not, not going to lie. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's mostly just a showcase. It's like an introduction of like the coaching staff gets a feel for, Okay, so these are what these guys look like on up close and personal. Now I have an yeah. idea of you know how to work with them over the off season and leading into training camp and prospect camps and all that. And I, I like I appreciate that the Ducks did the three on three because it was cool to see you know the team's new players on the ice and but it was clearly just a skills competition. Um, you had you know Siderov cherry picking at the far blue line when the when the plays <laughs> you know at his own goal line. So I don't understand how people are taking anything from that. If there is something to take from the camp, I would take the like one-on-one battle drills because that's kind of stuff that actually happens in hockey games. But even then it's like with a humongous grain of salt. Yeah. And you get a little bit of sense of, you know, the player's creativity, just kind of see where their mind goes. Uh, Cause obviously mm-hmm. it's a more relaxed, loose environment and they kind of have the more freedom to kind of do whatever they want and, kind of show what they have i mean to see their potential connor smith took a slap shot in the shootout like <laughs> that was awesome <laughs> yeah I, I don't think they they went into the locker room and they're like man you know you really didn't try out there what were you doing <laughs> like i mean you could tell mcelvain was smiling i mean it was hard to know what was going on behind us because 
Greg Cronin and Ryan Getzloff were sitting were standing behind Jack and I. Um, but you could you could tell that there was these guys had been worked all week. It's the end of this camp just to get familiar with you know your fellow your fellow teammate, you know, your fellow prospects. Um, you know, we thought everyone was in tow. Like we saw Verbeek standing on the the Bob Murray perch. Um, we thought Henry Samueli was up there with them, but I think it might have been Martin Madden. Um, you know, Ryan gets holding that stick. He was not holding the stick. He was wearing a nice white sweater, though. He yeah. He was looking comfy. Every picture I've seen, he was holding a stick like the entire week. Hey, you know, maybe he yearns to get back on the ice. We don't know. What position did he play? Was he a forward? He was a winger. Yeah, he was a winger. Yeah. Well, he could maybe contribute on the fourth line. Yeah, he'd probably be better than any of our bottom six last year. Yeah. But I had a I had a fun time. It was it was cool seeing that there for a lot of talk of oh I I don't know if I can support this team after that year and the heartbreak of not drafting Bedard and then getting stuck with Leo Carlson. You know I'm gonna shred my season tickets at home. You know clearly was a lot of excitement to watch ducks ducks hockey again. Which... I've I've never seen so many people get upset over a developmental camp three on three scrimmage but yeah just another stopgap on the on the road to who stood out to you guys Nestorinko I thought Nestorinko was gonna be be my first choice too yeah he just Um, from a point of just being fun Cedarov was fun to watch but he also was just trying a bunch of goofy stuff and yeah, he's the cre- just a ball of energy. <laughs> the creativity and the skill is there. It's just being mature about it and picking his spots when to do it. But again, it's three on three training camp. He's going to do weird stuff and it's all right because it doesn't matter. But it's nice to know that he has some tricks up his sleeve and he has skill. Isn't afraid have, to show it. We don't have a lot of skill <laughs> at the moment. I liked I liked uh, Cali Clang too. I thought he was very positionally sound, and he was you know making some athletic saves as well. And I'm going to be excited to see him in San Diego this year. So I also like Ian Moore. Like he didn't mm-hmm. do anything you know spectacular or flashy, but I mean just watching him, I mean he just did everything right. He didn't do nothing special. It's just I'm just going to go out. I'm going to do my job and call it a day. Yeah, Colangelo I to looked really good. Colangelo yeah. really impressed, yeah. but he was on the ice a lot of the time with Zellweger, and just the two of them were just running amok. Running yeah, I amok. wanted to ask Chris Peters about uh, Ian Moore and Sam Colangelo just because they're going into their senior years, and are we going to run into another Henry Thrun situation where we're going to have to trade their rights, or are we going to have like Jackson Lacombe and have them, you know, finish their year in San Diego? So. Like, do I get invested in these guys going forward? <laughs> yeah, I know. It got to like 840, and I was like, dang, I still, we still have a lot of questions to go. Yeah. I do appreciate, though, that he was very thorough because um, there was a couple questions I asked where 
it was just very like oh so what about this guy yeah <laughs> like yeah. very straight and to the point but he he was very insightful about that and you know having having someone that can put that so detailed you know is definitely a step up from what i can do and you know it's it's nice it's nice having that positive outlook because there's been a lot of negativity in the last two weeks and mm-hmm. it's nice just hearing that yep yeah he was really good yeah do you have fun watching on twitch lou yeah it was it was a lot of fun do we sound good yeah great time <laughs> Well, we do have some signings to talk about. Uh, you know, Chris had mentioned it uh, in terms of talking about defense. Uh, we signed Rad Kogudis to a three-year by $4 million contract, which I don't hate. Might be a little bad the last year, but, you know, you have to insulate some of those young guys coming up, and why not get the guy with the best beard in the NHL? Yeah, I like the pick from that that aspect as well i don't think i think his game is such so it's going to age pretty gracefully like there i don't foresee a huge drop in what he can do he's very meat and potatoes kind of player so i don't think yeah he's a stay-at-home guy he just doesn't he just doesn't make mistakes everything is tape to tape and if he runs out of options it's off the glass like everything is safe and then obviously he's um he's you know physical in front of the net and in corners and stuff so He's he's what the decord needs. I, I don't hate good. it too from the perspective of he had a good playoffs. It's not gonna be too too bad. We got the money to spend, just let it ride. <laughs> yeah, and, and even so, like four million a year in the grand scheme of things, it's not that big of a deal. Obviously, the last year that's it's gonna be more challenging, but I I like the signing. Um, he he balances out the the blue line because you know there's just so many times where you're watching the game and it's like there's just the the front of the net's just swarmed with other, the other team. Like nobody's clearing the front of the net, and he'll he'll take that job, and he'll obviously you know he's good at just being a body and um, knocking guys off the puck and. Like uh, Patrick was saying, he's safe, you know, so not a lot of mistakes, which is always great, especially when you have the worst defense of maybe ever. <laughs> but but also just a perfect partner for the young blue liners we have coming up. You know, maybe he'll be maybe he'll be Lacombe's partner this year, maybe next year Zellweger's and Minchukov, so on and so forth. I just think he's a solid presence back there for those young guys. Yeah, a lot of experience. It'll be nice, like like you said, Jack, to not have to see like Jamie Drysdale being the one guy trying to push like a Pat Maroon out of out of the crease. <laughs> and it, it it's nice having someone that can insulate some of those smaller guys that are still kind of coming into their own because he's been there, he knows what he's doing. You're not gonna have to worry about relying on the kids. And you know, that was a lot of the conversation with Chris is you're not realistically gonna be a good team if you're having to field a rookie filled lineup like that and it's not going to be realistic to do that in the coming years you know until some of these guys take steps so yeah the money might not be favorable to us in a year or two but it's a stopgap 
you know, a little more so than our other signing, you know, Alex Kalorn obviously was kind of the, the big, the big signing that kind of got people in a tizzy. And I understand, you know, four years, you know, almost 6.5 millions, a steep price for a free agent, but yeah, that last year is going to probably not be good, but you know, Pat coming out and saying that he, he values this veteran leadership to add to the, the core of leaders in the room, like your Cam Fowlers, your Henriques, you know, I'd say even Troy Terry to an extent, like it's just another guy who he's, he's done a lot of winning recently. And yeah, you know, he's not going to go out there and be a first line player by any means. You know, maybe if this was a Dallas Aikens team still, he'd be playing first line minutes, but <laughs> you know, he's a guy that, could potentially get you another 20 goals this year is going to be a secondary scoring option and is going to provide that mindset to kind of guide the kids along, which is kind of the goal at this point. Um, Come from a winning environment. And he's, he's a verbeek guy too. So yeah, yeah. that helps. He's played more playoff games than I think it was seven guys on our roster that weren't rookies. Um, like have career games combined, like not combined, career games um, on our roster from this past year. So this goes to show how he's been there. He's done that. He's won two cups. He's multiple playoff runs. Um, and he's insanely durable too. He, I think he's only missed like what, if he, I'm not counting the COVID shortened seasons, but I want to say it was like, he's missed two games in his entire NHL career in the regular season, at least. So I could, I mean, I need to fact check that, but I'm pretty sure that's what I remember. You don't have to fact check. We're just the throw information is, and hope yeah, people yeah. don't fact check. It, it's close enough. <laughs> it's close enough. But yeah, the, the term is long and the AAV is high, but it's kind of the price the Ducks have to pay right now because they're in a high tax state and they're at the bottom of the standings and you have to get better at some point. And bringing in guys like that is how we're going to slowly climb out of the gutter. Yep. And um, he's, it, it seems like from all accounts, he's a, like one of the best people to do it. I mean, just on the ice, he's doing dirty work and getting to like, he's really good in small areas too. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, in front of the net, especially he's good on the forecheck. It's little things that, we, that the ducks don't have on their roster right now that he's just going to fill in those, those holes. And yeah. when you look at his salary, um, it's really not that far off from, I think, was involving hockey's um, projection. I think they had him at 6'1 mm-hmm. AAV. So it, it's really not that far off from what he was expected to get. Um, it's just, you know, he's going to be 34 in September. So how is he going to play 34, 35, 36, you know, and 37 while making 6.25 a year? It's steep, but I mean, like Pat said, you you got to pay, and you got to pay to win. You got to overpay to get your guy sometimes, and I think this is just one of those cases. And his money comes off the books the same year as uh, as John Gibson. Gibson, yeah, yeah. Just in case, if he's still here, which who knows, we'll get there later. And yeah, <laughs> but Jack, Jack of Silverberg and who else comes off the Henry. books this? Henry. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Silverberg and Henry comes off this year. So it, it, it's a bad deal, but it's not going to be prohibitive in any way. It's not so, great, but it could be way worse. Like, yeah, a lot worse. It could have been pe- seven. Pe- yeah, people are making it out to be like 
this is going to hamper the Ducks, you know, future, the cap space, hell, this and that. It's like, it's, I mean, it's going to be an inconvenience, but. Yeah, the last year is going to be rough, I think, but. Probably. But and also, it, if needed, we can buy them out. And yeah. In case of emergency. Yeah. Sorry, Pat. No, no, it's fine. Uh, but like Jack, you were saying, uh, he's obviously like a durable player. Um, there's no uh, like big injury history. Uh, like Gudis, I don't think his game is going to like just drop off a cliff. It's a very, it's not a speed game. Um, so I think it's, it's just very translatable toward the next four years. I don't, I don't foresee a huge dip in his ability to do what he does now. Yeah, I agree. I think it's going to be more of a steady decline than a, a massive drop off, kind of like we saw with Corey Perry, but I mean, he had knee problems. So mm-hmm. there's that. Was it just me or does this does this scream temporary captain? I, 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 is, I is this it's just you? <laughs> is this the the Steve or this uh that be Steve Ruchin? That's more Steve Ruchin. Yeah, Steve think, Ruchin stopgap. Uh yeah. once, until we give it to someone. Once Adam Henrique is gone, he'll get the A, definitely, I think. I don't know. Part of me, part of me saw this as, oh, it's it's a Pat Verbeek guy from the Tampa days. This just screams. I don't know if I want to give it to a kid, one of the one of the up and comers just yet. I, I don't. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't want it that. to be that way, and I don't foresee that going that way because we've talked. Yeah, a I don't lot think about, it's gonna be that. I think that's just you. <laughs> <laughs> we've talked a lot about you know the possibility of it more than likely being Cam Fowler or Troy Terry or you know whomever. But the term just was like, huh, he's going to be, you know, 37, 38 by the end of it. Maybe shorter if there's ever a trade, a buyout, whatever. But it just screamed like, oh, he knows this guy already. Maybe he's just like, you know what? I want you to lead this locker room now. But I don't know. Maybe, Maybe I'm just looking into things too much just to keep myself entertained. Could just be me. <laughs> and our, uh, our other signing that really wasn't of note was uh, Robert Haig. Uh, one year, 775000 uh, Seventh defenseman if things go awry with some of the kids or there's injuries. Was he uh, on Buffalo in Philadelphia? Yes. He played Philly for I know sure. Buffalo. <laughs> I believe it was Buffalo. I remember him being in Philly, I think. That just sounds like a guy they would have. I don't know. But, you know, depth depth defensemen aren't a bad thing to have, and they're certainly certainly a hockey player. (laughs) Yeah, five years in Philly, a year in Buffalo, Florida, and Detroit. Been around a while. I think it... That, this that signing oh. it decreases the odds of of one of the kids, the left-handed kids, Minchukov or, or Zellweger starting at least in the NHL. I think they're they're more destined for the AHL, and this kind of solidifies it, in my opinion. Yeah, probably. Yeah. If this yeah. signing happened last offseason, um Dallas Eakins would be licking his chops at another seventh defenseman for 11 7. <laughs> He'd be playing him top four. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, we can't beat around the bush anymore. We got to talk about the spicy drama. 
to close out all the all the duck stuff. So if you've somehow been living under a rock, we we were all graced by the now infamous clip of Frank Saravalli uh, talking about John Gibson playing his or expressly saying he had played his last games as an Anaheim Duck. And a lot of us came to terms on Twitter of, okay, if this is the case, it's time to cut the cord and just have this be done. But later in the afternoon, you know, an interesting little wrinkle pops up of John Gibson's agent downright uh, denying it and saying that Gibson has never said that and that he is still honored to be a duck and it has caused a whirlwind of emotions, especially after his appearance on Cam and Strick, where he said that, you know, basically him and Pat have a general understanding of it is still time to move on. They are trying to find him a better situation, but given the parameters of his contract, you know, money length, you know, it's, it's very hard to move all of that money, but man, that was, that was a interesting 48 hours and you know, probably the most limelight we've had in a while that wasn't losing the draft or being the worst historical team ever. <laughs> As Limp Biscuit once said, it's all about the he said, she said bullshit. And I mean, this is how is this what year three now of oh Gibson wants out and then Gibson saying, No, I don't. I'm and then oh Gibson wants out. Well, I I do, but I don't, and it's uh, it's and now exhausting. It's, now it's yeah, it's I exhausting. do one out, but I at least talk to the team. I'm not <laughs> like, well, I'm sure Gibson's like, look, I'd like to go to a winner, but if you can't make it happen, I I guess I'll play. I'll be here. <laughs> like that's what it feels like, at least. Yeah, I mean, I I I definitely would agree with that. It's just like you said, we're we're kind of at that point where it's like it's just another year of. Oh, he wants out again. Okay, cool. But this time it just sounds a little more threatening and bad just because it's it's a very, very easy and very, you know, appealing way to say, oh, I've played my last game. And Do you think not... he really said it? No. I, th- I think he said it, but not I think management. I think he yes. said it to like his friends or something. I yes. think he said it I think that when he too. was like frustra- frustrated, but then he was like, he realized, oh shit, this is going to, this is going to make me look bad and I, I I need to backtrack a little bit. You know what I mean? He's obviously an emotional like, guy too. Yeah. Yes. Like I could definitely see him a few beers deep on the golf course with his buddies. Like, yeah, I'm done. I've never played never I'm never playing another game for that franchise ever again. And then someone's like, Hey, look what John Gibson just said. <laughs> yeah. Also, the when Frank uh went on that podcast, that was the first time we actually heard the term requested a trade. From, from up to that point, it had been like Gibson wants out or, you know, the Ducks would like to move him, stuff like that. That was that was the first time we heard trade request. But what kind of irked me was the the second comment of I'll never play. Or I'm not I'm done playing for the Anaheim Ducks or whatever it was, uh, just because his value is already at the lowest it's ever been. And that tanked whatever value he had left because it took away any any leverage that the Ducks had. So I was like awesome (laughs) and then so we're going to trade him 
we're going to trade him for peanuts and then he's going to be awesome somewhere else and it's going to suck and it's going to we're going to have to watch it for the next three years yeah yeah it just so now now they have some leverage back i guess yeah he he restored or they restored some goodwill and some good faith but yeah but you also got to think like do other teams around the league look at that like okay they've been going at it for like three years now of oh gibson wants out no he doesn't no he, he wants out no he doesn't is he like do we want that in our locker room like if we trade for him and things don't pan out like is he going to be a problem are we gonna are we gonna have to deal with this i don't know if they're really going to consider that but i mean it's might you'll get a team that's desperate enough to look past yeah that. for sure oh, yeah. there's gonna yeah. be an injury or there's gonna be some team who thought their goalies were going to be good and ended up being terrible like the Kings last year. And then some team's going to need a goalie for sure. I the Kings still need a goalie. <laughs> I don't yeah, see him the winning. Kings always. <laughs> I don't see him being happy in Pittsburgh because their trajectory is going down. You know what I mean? They don't yeah, have yeah. much time left and they're going to be in the same position as the Ducks pretty soon. So I don't see him being happy in Pittsburgh. The devils still make the most the devils make the most sense still. I mean, I don't think they would ever trade him to a divisional rival. So I I wouldn't see Yeah, optics wise, yeah, optics wise, I don't think they'd ever do it. I mean, when's the last time we made a deal with the Kings? Off the top of my head, George Peros. I I looked back at it. Or was that a I looked back at it a couple I think two weekends ago, because I was talking to one of my coworkers who's a Kings fan. I think the last one was, I don't remember. It might have been the Sean O'Donnell trade. Stanley Cup winner. I think that's what Stanley we, Cup. I think that's what oh. I came upon. Because like you go on NHL.com and it shows you like every trade every franchise has ever made. And I think that was the one. I think that was the first one. It was like 2008. And this is a big, big, big trade if they were yeah. ever to do it. And I, I don't see them ever doing it, honestly. Side and I don't George think the Paris Kings was... can even do it. They don't have the money to do it. Yeah, because aren't they only like a couple million or a few million out of the cap space or cap yeah. limit? Yeah. They would have to do a lot of work to they get might, out of that. They might be over right now. Yeah, because they just signed PLD to that contract. I thought I saw like they're three million shy. By the way, the Peros trade was Colorado, not Kings. He just played for the Kings the year before. But uh, I think I like the strategy now of just I'm glad that Gibson has said he's going to be patient. We're going to be patient and just like let the opportunities come to yeah. the Ducks because then maybe he can start the season off playing well and then if an opportunity opens up then great and you know we'll maximize his value and then he'll go to a team that he wants to go to so it's a, kind of like a win-win I'm, um it's kind of encouraging where we're at right now with that situation yeah all things considered mm-hmm. best of and, a bad situation and the kings are seven hundred and fifty thousand over the cap so yeah they're gonna have to move something well, one of their goalies is destined for the AHL. So, I, who are their goalies it. right now? Dave it's Riddick, Phoenix Talbot. Copley, and Talbot. Woof. <laughs> Ouch. 
Who has the worst goalie situation, them or us? Them. them. Yeah, definitely them. Yeah. We just have a stop. bad defensive situation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ours isn't a goalie thing. Can you imagine That's our true. goalies with, like, what, Carolina's defense? Oh, my God. Like that? Uh, they, the way just the middle-of-the-road defense. <laughs> yeah, middle-of-the-road defense. Anyway. I mean, all in all, I, I kind of feel like that attention is is unwanted you know there I I tweeted about Pat obviously has kind of come to the conclusion that there's a a culture he wants to push uh you know the McIlvain hire the Cronin hire their comments at the draft about drafting kids with emotional maturity guys that are going to fit the the mold of, of being good professionals on top of being good hockey players um, you know, I was reading that quote, it hurts because, you know, Gibson's always been one of my favorite players and not just because I'm also a goalie, you know, I just have really always enjoyed him. You know, I was a big defender back in the day of, it was the right decision to move on from Freddie Anderson and keep John Gibson, which, you know, certainly to this day, I would say is still true. You know, it was the right choice. Um, yeah. I don't know. It, it, it was, it hurt because it's like seeing a player like that, that you you've grown so attached to and seeing that out there, it's just like, what the fuck, man? Like, like when, like how could things possibly get more just toxic and just fucking crazy in one off, you know, the first couple of weeks of the off season. Um, but you know, the, the retread and the backtracking of, you know, and we don't even know if it's backtracking because who knows what was actually said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't blame him for if he if he really did say that. I don't blame him, honestly. Yeah. And, do I. You know, he has <laughs> he has valid reasons to be upset. You know, I mean, clearly he's not getting any younger and you want to be in a situation to win because at the end of the day he faced the most shots ever last year or like one of the highest totals. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, seeing, like, to, to kind of wrap it all up, like, I still feel like you got to pull it sooner rather than later. You got to just rip the Band-Aid off and just do it. You know, obviously the right trade's going to have to present itself, but you got to just, you got to do it for the betterment of the team at this point. And it's not to say that, you know, obviously he he wants a fresh start, but if this seeps into a couple months into the season where we're hearing, oh, you know, they're still looking, but it's rough out there and, you know, no one's desperate and you can just tell he's, he's done. Like, I hate to say, take whatever someone gives you, but. Also, Pat Verveek might be setting his price still too high. Also. Which he should right now. Yeah, he should. Yeah, he should, but yeah. But when it, yeah, when it, when it gets to the point that, that Jake's, you know, getting to, then yeah, it's time to just take. The best deal on the table. Yeah. Which is it? Oh, we, we prepped with Klingberg. It may not be what we want, but you know what? <laughs> Let's just hope it's something. <laughs> Nikita Nestorenko, baby. Yeah. And- yeah. Ducks won that trade. <laughs> yep. And with Gibson, like, if this carries on to the end of the season, like, it's not good for him. Like it's going to, it's going to carry 
a lot of weight on him probably as he's playing out there because he's like, okay, I got to play good to, you know, get other teams interested in trading for me. And then I'm dealing with, you know, I want out. There's a bad defense in front of me. I'm getting peppered with 50 shots a game. It's, it can't be good for him. So if you're going to do it, do it in the off season. Like to think it's like the Sandlot, but instead of him making fun of the kids coming to the plate, you know, the guy screening them in front, he's like, "Hey, so how, how, yeah, they're playing like the Wild." And it's like, how, "How how's the weather in St. Paul?" <laughs> so, do you like playing for the Wild? <laughs> What's the locker room like? Yeah, but, <laughs> I mean, it's a long off season, so there's there's still a lot that can happen. Um, you know. Chris touched on it. We are officially out of the running on Alex Debrinkit because he got traded today to the Red Wings. But, you know. It sounded like he wanted to go there. There's stuff still in the cards. We got RFA signings to happen. You know, we're getting to that point of the offseason where there's going to be a slow trickle of stuff, but we can hope that hopefully the the john gibson saga comes to an end at some point but how much tatar if you're listening uh anheim's nice in the winter i think the fact that we were involved um and considered in in the debrinket talks is encouraging yeah so it's it's like you know it's it's there's a light at the end of the tunnel i know we shouldn't hang a banner for it but I think it's a step in the right direction to, for sure, just to be considered if, you know, for a, a high, I know a player like that. So 40 goal scores do not grow on trees. No. It goes to show that Pepervik is at least targeting the right guys, even though he's not really landing a lot of them. At least the thought process is right. You know what I mean? Yeah. He gets and an A, pack- he gets an a for effort in terms yeah. of choosing the right guys to go after considering Years past have been, oh hell yeah, Yanni Hockenpah. Who's who's he? He might be good. Cody Curran, yeah, hell yeah, Ugh. he's a goal. Daniel Sprong, <laughs> he's good for ten a year. <laughs> but we we've talked a lot about quality, quality of player, and being in that at least being in the conversations a step in the right direction because, yeah, you know. Is it realistic 100% of the time? Probably not. Uh, are we in a position where giving up assets for a guy like that make a ton of sense? I could totally see that, uh, especially with, you know, some key pieces being still unsigned, you know, in the RFA process. Um, but it's encouraging. It's nice. At least we're starting to get looked at. Maybe in a couple yeah. of years, maybe a big fish will commit to us. Who knows? I'm willing to bet that the the package that Burbeek offered the Senators is more than what the Senators got from the Red Wings. It's just that he probably demanded or he probably was like, I'm not making the deal if Debrinket's not going to sign long term up with the Ducks, obviously. So, you know, Debrinket held all the cards there and wanted to go to D- Detroit, clearly. Yeah. And he got his wish and the Senators got what they could for him, which which was, was a lot considering they didn't have any. They leverage. got a first. They got a first, yeah. Um, and a, I don't know who the defenseman they prospect. got. Yeah, he's not. He's not good. He played in the ECHL last year. Oh, okay. <laughs> but um, 
but still a first and a fourth a, a roster player in in Kubalik and uh and a and a bad prospect is is a good package for someone who had a lot of leverage yo yeah all the leverage all the <laughs> leverage no kidding well i was very busy this weekend and with with chris uh not being able to make it on our chris not being able to make it on tonight um we didn't grab any questions i did see one in the twitch chat so if you are still in the twitch chat feel free to drop them now um we'll run through our our little ad reads here real fast um you know, I usually start with 714 and throw in some Angels tie-in, but if you've been watching Angels baseball lately, um, you're a brave soldier. Um, you're, you're a braver man than I am. Uh, but, you know... Giants, a- Angels Giants might won be the series bad. this weekend. Just throwing that out there. Angels might be bad, um, but you don't have to be an Angels fan or a sports fan at all to benefit from our code with 714 tickets. You can use code LAP at checkout for 10% off uh, your order and you get 5% back for any future orders. Um, I have to make it to my obligatory angel game of the year. So I'm going to maybe pick a series that they have a decent shot of winning on paper, but uh, it's not looking great. Uh, but as Lou said, you know, if you get on the, the Giants wagon, want to make a trip up to NorCal or, you know, if you're local and they're coming to, uh, Anaheim, August 9th, I believe. Do that. Buy Lou a beer. Go hang out with him. I can't, I can't make it. I'm busy that series, unfortunately. Or not. <laughs> go, 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 go see Taylor Swift at SoFi. 714 has tickets. No one else does. They do. Damn right. Shout out to, to all the Swifties out there. Pray for your I, bank accounts. But I was listening to that album the other night fire yeah a little bit yeah a little bit a little bit <laughs> what was your favorite song lou uh back to december that's a banger and uh uh the never grow up song that's that's a good song too oh i have a daughter now so that song made me cry <laughs> <laughs> yeah who, who would have thunk lou the swifty yeah <laughs> yeah who would have thought? Not me. <laughs> well, again, you can use code LAP at checkout, 10% off any order and 5% towards any future orders. But on the topic of 10% off, our newest uh, partner that we're working with is Shift Hockey. Um, I'm still trying to work out what I want to do with my goalie pads, uh, but I'm definitely going to be looking at getting a couple sticks uh, for some outdoor, some roller skating um you know shift's got you covered not only do they have hockey sticks they have gloves they have merch um you know we're big fans of very sleek designs of the uh, black and cream line of uh you know apparel they have going um i like the fact that all of the hockey specific stuff is um a lot cheaper than stuff you find retail wise and their sticks are retailing about 180 dollars you can buy them in three packs. You can buy them in five packs. Uh, if you want to go as unique as getting a custom curve, they have an option to work with the team and see what they can do for you. Um, but you know, not only you know do they offer great gear, but you know it goes to a good cause. I know they have a lot of stuff uh, 
I have a program that works with a, I want to say it's a high school or some sort of club program in Columbus that is a buy one, give one program where if you buy a stick, it provides a stick to a kid that plays as part of the club. Um, one of my main goals now that we're with shift is I want to try and do that with maybe a couple of the teams locally, you know, maybe help out some of the junior duck teams, some of the OC teams, you know, working in this industry, uh, you know, hockey's expensive. Uh, it's, it's ridiculous that companies charge almost $400 for sticks now. And some of them aren't even great quality. Um, you know, I won't name names, but one of them starts with a B. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, causes like this are great because hockey's such a great sport, but it's so inaccessible to a lot of kids just because of that cost to get into things. And having brands like Shift that do things like this to make it accessible for those communities, for those kids, it's just a great thing to see. You want the sport to grow, but hampering that by making everything so expensive just just doesn't do it um but you can use our code lap 10 at checkout and it's 10 percent off of anything you get in the store just can't be uh partnered with any deals or any coupons they have going currently so check out our uh our guys over at shift you know we're we're happy to be partnering with them and be exciting to see what we can do with them down the line i think we uh maybe should get in some talks of doing some lap gear Get some oh, custom, yeah. get some custom lap sticks. Oh yeah. Get Lou out there on some rollerblades or some ice skates. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do have one last topic from hockey three, six, five. Um, it might be a little, might've been a little time sensitive to the playoffs. Um, just given the nature of the question, but. He asked us, given the injuries we've seen since the end of the cup final, do you think we'll ever get to a point where coaches will regularly choose to play the healthy depth players that are on the roster and sit very injured superstars, or is this just the way it's always going to be? I would like I think, to think they would play the yeah. healthy player, but who knows? I think uh, coaches, like most people in the business, are very – that um, they care about self-preservation. And if you mm -hmm. sit your star player for a depth player and you lose the game, you're probably, you're, you're going to have your job questioned. So it's going to, it's going to take a coach or a management team with a lot of balls and a lot of job security for to pull that, to pull that off and to maybe ignite a change. But for now, I don't see it happening just because everyone's so risk averse. And yeah. And a lot of the times, you know, they ask the player, are you okay? And of course they're going to say yes. You know, their arms hanging on by a ligament and it's like, yeah, I'm fine. I can play. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I don't see it changing in the near future. Maybe, you know, down the road, it maybe it changes, but I mean, you know, like Pat was saying, like, you got to have balls to say like, you know what, we're going to play um, you know, Brock McGinn instead of Trevor Zegers in this postseason because Zegers is banged up. It, it, he's the head coach and the whole coaching staff and front office is going to get a lot of heat for that, especially if they lose. And I don't know. And at some point you got to think, okay, how injured is he? And does a Trevor Zegers at 
80% or maybe even 40%. Uh, that was a big jump off. I don't know why I said 80 at first. <laughs> Either way, um, <laughs> does Trevor Zegers at 40% play better than Brock McGinn at 100% or whatever the situation is? I think that has to be the main question. Yeah, definitely. And I can see the nature of this question stemming from, you know, the stuff we found out about Kachuk, you know, having to be helped out of bed and dressed by Brady to even show up to the rink. Um, Radko Gudis too. Gudis, yeah. You know, well, he actually had to, like, not play. Like, he, yeah, he, he set he, out a few games. Yeah, he had to set out. I mean, Ekblad played a lot of that cut final with a broken ankle, like – to me, I think the only way it would change is if it's such a – it's either, like, an injury that was caused by, like, a violent play or it's something that just completely, like, knocks a guy out, like, worse mm-hmm. than, you know, whatever injuries kept, like, Shea Weber out. You know, we saw it a little bit to an extent with Kessler. Like he tried coming back after the the 17 run and just couldn't do it because of his hips. Um, you know, that that's kind of the nature of having that surgery. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's very easy to come back from having your hip replaced by a metal ball. Um, but I think it's going to take something super extreme for that to ever be a thought just because that warrior mentality is so ingrained into hockey, especially at the NHL level that, like you said, is a guy going to go and say, Oh no, I can't play Like I, I just, I can't do it anymore. Like if they feel they really realistically could go out there and still do their job, they're a hundred percent going to say yes. <laughs> like it's dumb. Um, you know, is it bad for your health? hundred percent, but there's a reason they get paid all the money to do this. Like they're the best of the best and they want to go out there and prove that they are like, you're not going to change that guy's mind. And it sucks because we've seen a lot of players that their careers have, I wouldn't say have spiraled, but you know, we, we always looked at Silverberg in high regard and injuries started to catch up to him and not to an extent where it was keeping him out of playoff games. You know, he was never that guy that was, the integral piece that held held everything together but we look at how we we view him now and it's like oh, okay one more year and we're not having to deal with his money anymore mm-hmm. where before it was just like the dude was money and everything you know he could score for you he was the shootout guy and it's like i don't think we realize as fans that they don't as players see that like they're entertainers at the end of the day and they also in, on their end this is their job like do you want to sit out and, and not that they're going to miss out on money or anything but like yeah didn't linus Olmark play with like an injury in the playoffs a lot of guys did i mean Olmark, like if montour if, if jeremy swayman plays some of those games the panthers might have not have advanced you know what i mean yeah and you know I guess where I'm getting with it is it's it's hubris. It's wanting to to still go out there and and prove, you know, you're out there for a reason. But I don't know it 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 would be some. It'd have to be something very very like life altering for for it to ever be an option. Personally, 
Well, our one question we did have in the chat, and it's probably good we didn't have too many just because we are pushing two hours here. Um, but it comes from JC Lee in the chat, and they ask, which of our prospects, not named Leo Carlson, do you think would would or could become a solid NHL top six player? Um, I think uh, Nico Mayatovic uh, intrigues me a lot, not because he's going to be a star in the league, I think, but he's going to be a very good complementary piece. I think if you look at a lot of top lines around the league, there's a guy on most of them who is just going to get in on every four check and, you know, um, be really strong in front of the net and have like good skills in small areas. And, you know, um, there's, there's, you, you need someone on the other end of these Trevor Zegers, like behind the back passes. And I think that that can be, that can be a guy like Mayatovic who's going to get the puck for him and then finish his plays. So I guess that's my, my pick right now. They don't have a ton of like high end forward talent. Yeah, they they don't have a ton that really catches my eye, so I'm kind of going to go off of recency bias and, and say Nikita Nesarenko. I was really impressed. <laughs> Good I, was, I, was, I was really impressed with uh, how he played in his short time in the NHL and obviously seeing him at development camp. He looked really good too, even though, I mean, it's development camp, but uh, he, I, don't, he's, I don't think he's ever going to play first-line minutes, but I think he's a good, like, at his potential, he could be a solid second-line, you know, winger. Um, but right now, I think he's, you know, borderline, you know, top six, bottom six, second, third-line uh, player. It is intriguing. It was it was cool seeing him out there playing with Carlson, getting some reps. The two the two lanky guys with with the with the very long reach was was cool to see out there. I think it would be a stretch, but if I had to guess that if there's ever a guy to really impress and somehow get the minutes in the top six, I'd say Nathan Gauthier is a good shot just because he just, he's, he's one of the, those guys that's flown under the radar and had a really solid year after his draft year, but you're having to beat out now Leo Carlson, Mason McTavish. And if you are insistent on keeping Z as a center, like, you know, he would have to really, really, really take that step above. But he's a guy that I think would be like a, a dark horse candidate, I guess. Uh, but Nestorenko is definitely a very easy choice there just because there isn't a lot of proven talent just yet. You know, there's a lot of talk of Braden Tracy and Jacob Perot kind of the, the clock's ticking on the two of them. Like they either got to start getting NHL minutes or we're, we're starting to kind of look back at those two picks as like, ah, man, they could have been something. And, you know, Chris mentioned that earlier. You're not every draft and not every prospect you take is going to be a slam dunk every time. And you're going to have a few duds, you know, for every, every guy you get like a Trevor Zegers, you have a draft pick that's a Nick Ritchie are those two completely different players that you should never be drawing comparisons to a hundred percent. Unnecessary shot to Nick Ritchie, but, <laughs> but necessary. I mean the, the same, every shot's necessary. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I guess where I'm trying to go with it is, you know, there is some truth to that of you get these guys that you're like, okay, you know, hopefully there'll be something one day and it just doesn't work out. You know, Sam Steele during the 2017 playoffs was, was that dark horse black ace of like, ah, oh, you know, if things really go South and there's injuries, you know, maybe they give him a shot and he hops in and we look at where he is now. You know, he leaves us, he goes to Minnesota and he has a decent year next to, to Kirill and some of the other guys, uh, you know, filling in and he doesn't get tendered a contract again. And at one point we looked at him in such high regard and it's like, that's just kind of the nature of things. Um, Especially when like their developments were so botched between him and Comtois um, and now with Tracy and Perot, like they, they never stood a chance under the previous regime and how, how San Diego was handled under, under Bobo. But, um, <laughs> I love, I love now that, um, Mac, uh, got McIlvain and, uh, Cronin are going to have this like communication between the two. And there's a real, uh, mandate and priority for, player development especially in the ahl and with all the young talent coming up that i hope the those kind of that this is the last of those kind of like failed high picks because it's been a lot so far and it's just it's tough to see it i'm you know sad for those guys but i'm glad that it it's been realized and now there's an emphasis on it yeah it's a step in the right direction because if like you said, they never really stood a chance when you had the year of Bouchard, the year of, uh, shit, who was the coach during the COVID year? It was uh, uh, Deneen. Mm-hmm. So you had Deneen, Bouchard, and then Somers last year. So they're on their fourth head coach, and they've been in the system for four years. Like, yeah, no fault of their own, but they're reaching that territory of like the ship has to be righted very, very quickly here for them to really get back on track. And is it too far gone? Is it too late? Who knows? But yeah, you you definitely want to at least churn out one or two instead of like, Oh, well, there goes another one, which there's been a lot of that. (laughs) Yep. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I think this is a good place to stop. This was definitely a very, very content heavy episode. You know, uh, we episode didn't really, 50. we didn't get a chance to really say it just because we wanted to maximize Chris's time and not keep him here forever. But 50 episodes of lap, you know, another, another milestone in the books. It's, it's crazy to think that we're already 50 deep. I feel like the Antoine Vermette episode, the Bob Wren episode, <laughs> Bo Gruel. Well, yeah, yeah put, bug. put some respect on Bog. Bog. But, uh, yeah, we've hit a lot of, I mean, lap day a couple episodes ago and now hitting episode 50. It's, yeah, it's been, it's been a climb, it's been a journey, but we keep trucking. It's, uh, yeah. Thank you for everyone for all your continued support and listening to us every week. Crossed 120 followers. We're at 121 on Twitch, which 
I'm surprised my food takes still keep being allowed. <laughs> I was going to ask Chris that, but we were getting a little, a little close to the time limit there. And, you know, we were having a good discussion. I didn't want to derail things with, with asking <laughs> him, you know, what, what controversial food take he had. Yeah, yeah, so enough about the Ducks prospect. What are your thoughts on food? <laughs> what do you feel about Kane's toast? Yeah. Our pal Lou's not here to defend himself, but we're just going to roast him <laughs> for a couple minutes. By the way, speaking about food real quick, I yes. at, oh, I, att- I attempted to make a pizza dough the other day and just... Oh, I saw that. It's a, it's a fucking pain in the ass, dude. If you want pizza, just order it. It's, it's, <laughs> it's just an easier, it's an easier time. <laughs> Like I, I don't know what I did wrong, but like the dough didn't rise. I guess maybe the yeast was bad or, or something. I don't know. But yeah, it just was a pain in the ass. <laughs> and messy too. I had I, I spent like an hour cleaning my, my countertop because it was just so messy. Never you just, again. You just gotta get the, the can dough, Lou. I know you're a man of uh of doing everything by scratch, but Sometimes you got to take the easy way out. Yeah. Yeah. Taking the easy way out is calling dominoes or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the easy way out. That's the fucking easy way, man. <laughs> yeah, but if like if you're going to at least attempt it by, you know, making it homemade, like got to take some shortcuts here and there. Yeah, cuz I've always wanted to like attempt to do it cuz it looked easy enough, but in practice it it was not easy enough. <laughs> Well, good on you for trying, Lou. Yeah, yeah, we're well. proud of you. <laughs> the effort that counts. Yeah, maybe, like Pat for me. <laughs> yeah, maybe one day we'll we'll open a pizza shop and you'll be our you'll be our pizza man. I'll decline that. Pepperoni lose. <laughs> uh, well, if you are still listening with us on Twitch, uh, thank you for hanging out for the. Uh, the whole two hours with us, you know, here we were saying, oh, it's going to be a short one. <laughs> uh, but, you know, a big thank you again to Chris Peters for hopping on with us. Um, very big shout out to our Chris for making that happen too. Yeah. You know, it was a very shot in the dark kind of like, Hey, you want to do this? And, you know, thankfully Chris agreed. And, um, you know, we, we hope that what he said you know, not only about Carlson, but just kind of the Ducks prospect system as a whole kind of eases some minds because it's it's been a it's been a weird two weeks. A um, little bit, which may precede a very weird season. But you know, at the end of the day, we're almost to hockey season again. Yeah, you know, we're gonna start seeing the prospect tournaments, rookie camp. Next thing you know, it's gonna be training camp and we're going to be complaining about the season already so already yeah. july so a couple yeah. more months we will we will leave you here thank you for listening as always and uh we'll catch you next week bye, bye. adios you can follow late arrivals on both twitter and instagram at late arrivals pod If you feel so inclined, leaving a review and rating wherever you get your podcasts is a great way to show your support and is much appreciated. Take care.